Welcome to the Grace Long Beach Podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. So remember that once you were Gentiles by physical descent, who were called uncircumcised by Jews who were physically circumcised. At that time, you were without Christ. You were aliens rather than citizens of Israel and strangers to the covenants of God's promise. In this world, you had no hope and no God. But now, thanks to Christ Jesus, you who were once so far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christ is our peace. He made both Jews and Gentiles into one group. With his body, he broke down the barrier of hatred that divided us. He canceled the detailed rules of law so that he could create one new person out of the two groups, making peace. He reconciled them both as one body to God by the cross, which ended the hostility to God. When he came, he announced the good news of peace to you who were far away from God and to those who were near. We both have access to the Father through Christ by the one Spirit. So now you are no longer aliens and strangers. Rather, you are fellow citizens with God's people, and you belong to God's household. As God's household, you are built on a foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The whole building is joined together in him, and it grows up into a temple that is dedicated to the Lord. Christ is building you into a place where God lives through his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Kids, you are dismissed to King's Quest as the rest of us are seated. My name's Daniel Long. I'm a pastor here at Grace. Good job being here. And, you know, I woke up my daughter, who's only five months old. She woke up like around 158. Um, and, and so, you know, and I read the night before, like, why was, I was curious when the time actually changes. Uh, and it's at 2 a.m. And so I was looking at my clock and it just went from one to three. Like it really happens. It, uh, which was, so surprising and weird, right? It's like, okay, so that's just, it's gone. I mean, that hour is away by somewhere. Um, So way to go. I just want to say I'm proud of you. I'd like to pray as we get into um, God's word. Um, We pray and ask that God would speak to us because we believe that God is a God who wants to speak to his people, to his children. So let's pray together. God, you are, you are good You are loving, and you are speaking. Help us to have ears to hear you this morning. Help us to be people who are open to what it is you have to say. By your word, work in us, heal us, transform us, convict us, so that we might be people who bear witness to you and to your love in the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're in a series in the book of Ephesians, which is taking us to the end of May. 
Um, we are in the second half of Ephesians 2. By way of, of just reminder of where we are in this letter that Paul wrote to a, a collection of, of churches in the area of Ephesus, um, just to kind of give us some groundwork in terms of where we are now. So in Ephesians 1, as we've talked about, what Paul is wanting to describe is really the incredible work of what God has done in Jesus to bring people together in this thing called the church. And what is going on, he's wanting to suggest, is, is far more beautiful, wonderful, complex than we ever think. Even though on the outside we see something that's messy and confusing and, and kind of weird and crazy, underneath is the work of God in Jesus Christ of bringing the people together. And he names us as people who are blessed, adopted, redeemed, given an inheritance. This work of God that is meant for us that we are a part of this incredible blessing. And in the second part of Ephesians 1, Paul then wants to go into prayer about who we are and, and that we would be people marked by hope, that we would actually grasp the inheritance that we've been given in Jesus and that we would live out of this power, this power that is, that is offered to us because God has raised Jesus from the dead. And that power is the same power that is at work in us, his people. Then Paul goes into Ephesians 2, and he, he begins to talk to people. He says, you, almost this individual conversation of, but what has happened to you as an individual if you've put your trust in Jesus? And he talks about the incredible mercy that Christ has shown us by, by making it possible that we would be once dead but now alive in Christ. And moving on, that we are his people, his workmanship, his works of art, that God is continually fashioning us and shaping us into his people to be something like an exhibit that puts on display the incredible love of God. Now in the second part of Ephesians 2, what Paul is going to then talk about is not so much what is at work within individuals in terms of this, this reality of what God has done in Jesus, but what does that make possible in a community, in a group? And he's going to say, okay, so yes, there is this vertical dimension in terms of the grace and the mercy that we've experienced in Christ, but always when there's something that happens in this vertical relationship between us and God, it always has ramifications and is always worked out in this horizontal relationship with other people. So that's where we are. And so we're going, if you want, you can turn your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. It's on page 976. And we're going to start in verse 11. And we're going to go through verse, uh, through the end, actually, of that chapter. And I want to walk through the text a little bit, highlight a few things, and then maybe land on what I think God might be saying to us as a community now in 2019 Long Beach. So he says this in verse 11, Therefore, remember. Now I just want to stop there, those first two words. And here's why. Because this is actually the first imperative that we've come across in the book of Ephesians. Everything else has been what God has made possible in Jesus, and we are actually recipients of all of it. God's people are recipients of what God has done. And this is the first time that Paul is telling the people to do something. And isn't it fascinating that what he's telling them to do, the first thing he tells people to do is to remember. Remember. Which that implies that, that it's something that, that has happened, that has taken place, that involves us, that we need to recall. That it's already a part of our reality 
and we need to be reminded that it is and that we are to live into it. So therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, and he continues to go on talking to the Gentiles. He says, you are uncircumcised, and he talks about the circumcised. He's talking about Gentiles and Jews. Now, those two categories are incredibly expansive because what it really means is Jew and non-Jew. So it encompasses every single person in the world according to the Jewish consciousness. So Jew and Gentile means everybody. So he's talking to the Gentiles, these people who are non-Jewish, and he, he begins to describe what's taking place. Look, you were far off, but now because of Jesus, you've been brought near. Now, you were not once a part of God's people. Now, if you think about the Jewish story, the story of Israel, which is part of our story, you have these people who are part of God's blessing. You have these people who, whom God has called to himself, who worked within, who rescued from Egypt, and it was out of these people, out of the promise that God gave to Abraham, that then the world was going to be blessed. But the Gentiles weren't a part of that. It was going to be through the Jewish people that the Gentiles would be blessed, but they weren't a, a part of the original promise, part of the original blessing. So in some sense, they were outside of it. But Paul is saying, look what has happened in Jesus. You who were once far off, you who were once excluded, are now included because of what God has done to Jesus. So outsiders, welcome. Outsiders to the faith at this point have been welcomed into the faith because of what God has done in the person of Jesus. And there is always this, this kind of, I don't really know what to call it, um, the opposite of a funnel, what would that be? Uh, uh, the, I don't whatever. So it just kind of comes from, the, from, from something, that this is how God works, right? From the peculiar to, like, the expansive. Something small into the large, starting with the Jewish people, but it was always intended through God's work in Jesus to encompass everybody, to, be, to involve and include everyone who have put themselves in the story, in the trust, of Jesus Christ. So there's this narrow to the broad trajectory of Scripture, and the Gentiles have now been included into that. And that is what Paul is wanting to say. So he goes from you Gentiles, and if you look down into verse 13, he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. So Paul going from the second person, you, into the plural, our. Second person singular, you, to our. So he's saying you were this, but now our. This is, was my story, that was your story, but now because of what God has done in Jesus, this is actually our story. And so when the Gentiles were, who were far off have been brought in, imagine the upheaval and disruption that would create in the Jewish life. You have these people who know nothing of Jewish religious practice, who know nothing of what it means to actually be a part of the story. They don't know what their life is to look like. But all of a sudden, God is saying, no, you're a part of this. And the Jewish people are, are thinking, okay, well, how is this going to actually work? What does this mean for us? Well, everything changes. There's actual religious 
social cultural implications for this expansion, for this broadening of the faith, for this inclusion that Jesus has made possible. And so things are going to be disrupted. Things are going to be complicated. So no wonder Paul has to talk about four times in this text, in these 12 verses, about peace. Verse 14 again, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So Gentiles who were far off have brought, been brought in. There's, this, there's disruption. There's complications. How does this work? Well, it says that Christ himself has become our peace. Christ is our peace. Not a community's ability to actually be nice to one another. Not a community's ability to like each other. Peace isn't created in this sense, at least in the text as Ephesians suggests it, peace is given. Peace is an opportunity that's been provided for you because of Jesus. It's miracle. It's gift. But it's true. It's what God has made possible in the person of Jesus. It makes me think of this story, which was chronicled in a film called, if you want to put it up there, Bob, the French, I wish Sue, I just could bring Sue up here to say this. I think it's like Joyeux Noëlle. It's Merry Christmas is actually what it translates to, so I'm just going to refer to that as Merry Christmas. So I don't have to keep saying the French um, and sounding lame. But here's, I don't want to talk about the film, but the story that is the backdrop of the film. So I don't know if you know this, but in World War I, on December 24th, 1914, only five months after the Great War began, There were these soldiers on the eve of Christmas who decided to cease fire. You have German soldiers on one side in the trenches, and you have the Allied forces on the other in the trenches, and they begin to cease fire in order to celebrate together Christmas. And it began to happen along the Western Front, and it wasn't every single people who were fighting. Along the Western Front, there were these pockets of people who decided to put their guns down for a day in order to celebrate the coming of Jesus. I mean, that to me is, is it's unfathomable. I don't understand how that happens. But it seems miracle. And so you have these soldiers who are actually getting out of the trenches, who move toward one another. They begin to embrace and they begin to share gifts. Like, this really happened. They begin to offer cigarettes to one another, pudding. They actually engage in a soccer match. One day, and the generals and those who were in charge actually didn't like this because if you begin to see your enemies as people like you, then perhaps you will stop fighting. So they actually begin to to say that to not fraternize, fraternize with other people on, or your enemies on the other side. And of course, what happens is people go back to fighting, which is going to be a war that lasts for a whole nother over four years in which 16 to 20 million people were killed. But on this one day, this one day, people risked putting their guns down, coming out of the trenches, and embracing those who were their enemies. Embracing the other. 
Now, something like that, something as miraculous as that is taking place in this text when Gentiles are brought in to the Jewish community. And it says that what is created, if you look in the text, is one new humanity. One new humanity. Now, this is why I think this is such an important concept. Because it didn't mean that the Gentiles became more Jewish. Nor did it mean that the Jewish people became less Jewish. What happened, because of what Jesus, bringing them together as one, which that word one is repeated four times in this text, is something entirely and completely new. Which means there were no winners, nor were there losers. There was something totally and utterly, miraculously, wondrously new. A new humanity. A new humanity in which we are called into. A new humanity in which we are a part of. And that is the miracle of church. That is the miracle of what Christ has made possible in giving himself for us. And God bringing together in a messy, complex, crazy way all of us. Despite where we come from, despite even what we think, despite what we think is important to us, if we have put our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ, we are new together. We are one new humanity. We are the church. We are God's people. We are a family. Joe Hellerman, a New Testament scholar at Biola, says this. He says, there is both a vertical and a horizontal dimension to our position in Christ. We make much in our doctrinal statements and our preaching of the vertical aspect of salvation, the fact that we are justified, declared righteous, and put into a right relationship with God when we are saved. But something else happens when we are saved, which is just as real in God's eyes, on God's positional ledger sheet, so to speak, as our justification, something I like to call our familification. Just as we are justified with respect to God the Father upon salvation, so also are we familified with respect to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And this familification is no less a positional reality than our justification. So what he's saying is we've been justified because of Jesus in our relationship to God, but we've also been familified. Try to say that word. Say it's practicing this word like all week. Familification, familified, familification. It's really difficult. But we've been familified. We've been brought into a family. So this vertical relationship has horizontal implications, and we have been made a family. So like it or not, we are together. Despite what you might think about another person, a brother or sister, if they've put themselves in the story of Jesus, if they've committed themselves to Jesus, they are your family which means you need to put up with them and love them. But here's the thing. People need to put up with you too. And people need to love you as well. So we together have been familified because of what God has done in Jesus, been brought together into one new humanity. The church. Brothers and sisters saved by grace been given and shown mercy by Jesus. And you cannot undo that. 
You cannot un, untether yourself, disconnect yourself from your brothers and your sisters who are in Jesus Christ. We are stuck together. And that is good news, and that is grace, and that is one of the ways in which God works out our sanctification, in which God, we work out our faith in Jesus. It's easy to be a Christian alone. It's much more difficult to be a Christian with somebody you'd rather not be with. But God loves us more than to just keep us alone. God loves us and wants us to be his pieces of art who are on display for others. And that means being with others. But Paul continues to, to keep going. And he says this familification, this bringing together, this vertical relationship being kind of um, connected to the person of Jesus and our horizontal relationships being connected to the person of Jesus means that there's a whole nother way in which we interact with God. The religious system has been dismantled in a sense. Those divisions religiously, socially, culturally have been put to death in the person of Jesus, which means every single person has access to God. Paul wants to say, and he will in such explicit terms, that this religious system has been dismantled in such a way that every single person is able to have relationship with God. It's not just for the religious elite. It's not just for those who are part of the temple system, but it's actually every single one of us has an opportunity to be in relationship to God, and we are together in relationship to God. Look at verse 16, or I'll start back in verse 15. By abolishing the law and commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you, the Gentiles who were far off, and peace to those who were near, the Jews. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And because of this access, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So we are all through one spirit able to come to the, to the presence of God. Now, I don't know if you know how the temple system worked, but it worked in such a way that there was this, there was the inner part of the temple in which the presence of God was. And there were only certain levels in which people of a certain type or of a certain um, religious affiliation within the Jewish religious system could get closer and closer. But this is saying, and we actually sang a song, right, in which the veil is torn apart, in which there is no barrier. There is no presence of God and only certain people can get closer and closer. No, this means that the presence of God is accessible to every person because of, the, of Jesus Christ. We are each able to be in relationship to the God who has revealed himself in Jesus. That means that though, though you would love and maybe, maybe not love, though there might be people you wish to exclude from that presence, you can't because it's not up to you. God has made it possible through Jesus that we all are able to come into his presence, that we all have access, and that we are all part of the household of God. He continues, and he says this. And this household of God is built, in verse 20, on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together 
into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We, now together, having been justified, familified, we are the presence of God. We together are God's people brought into relationship with one another in order that we would have his spirit upon us and that we would then show the world what it means to be God's presence. We are God's presence. In all of our confusing, ugly, complex way, we together, not I individually, not you individually, but we are the temple of God. We are the one in whom the spirit is working and enacting and revealing himself to the world. So that's kind of the way that this text is working. And there's so many other things I wish I could say, but I'm looking at the time, and it's not possible. (laughs) But here's where I kind of want to land. I want to land on this. I don't know if you get, or if you're seeing this in the text, but this is not aspirational. What Paul is saying, he's not saying go be this way. He's actually saying this is what you are. He's not saying go be peaceful to one another. He's not saying, hey, go be a family. He's actually saying, you already have peace in Jesus. You already are a family, so start living like it. That to me is so, when I hear that, I think, oh my goodness, that is a pretty high calling. And sometimes I actually think, man, do I really want to do this? Is this something that I I actually want to to be, do I want to be unified with other people? Paul is saying, it doesn't really matter what you want. Because guess what? If you've connected yourself to the person of Jesus, it's what you're already caught up in. So go on living that way. You are a family, and you didn't choose your family, and they didn't choose you. But figure it out. And be a family. And be unified. We are in a culture of contempt. Now, I know some of you read this article. It came out last week by this guy named Arthur C. Brooks. It's called Our Culture of Contempt. I know some of you read it because I got it from you um, on your Facebook feed. Thank you, Catherine Lowe, Mike Miller. Way to go. Um, and I was reading through it. And the argument that this person is, is suggesting, he's like, we're actually, we have not had a time in which we've been more polarized since the Civil War as a nation. That's crazy to me. But we are in a context, in a time and place in life, when we are so polarized that it doesn't seem like we can get out of it. And he's suggesting that what happens and why this is taking place is something he calls, I think, motivational, what is it called? Motivational attribution symmetry. Do you know what that means? No, neither did I. Here's what he's trying to get at. So what happens is there are these two camps created, right? And then you begin to align with one side, and you begin to believe that only your group is benevolent and wonderful and kind and have only access to the truth, and those people over there are evil and bad, and what the heck do they think? And that over time, because of this polarization, each of these two different camps actually believe that they are the ones who are right. And what's created is not disagreement, what's created is contempt. You can't actually believe or assume or think that that other group has anything to offer because they're just total whack jobs, crazy, absolutely out of their minds. And that we're in, a, we're in a system, we're in a society, we're in a culture in which people begin to feed 
on these ways that we are. So you hear the people who are yelling. You hear the people who are, who are tossing out just arguments or, or lies or whatever. And you begin to hear those. And, and you begin to feel angry and bitter at those other people. This author says it becomes an addiction. I wish you could, Siri, because that would have been helpful. Um, so what Siri is wanting to say is, um, that's amazing. So, you know, I don't know what to do besides just keep going with what I was saying. Uh, so there are people out there who feed off of this addiction to be right, to be correct. And to be angry at that other side. And it doesn't seem like there's any way out of the trenches, so to speak. And yet, the person of Jesus, God, showing himself in Christ, says he's become our peace. Where there didn't seem to be another way, there is another way. There is opportunity. There is the ability. Somehow there is the risk that we can take to get out of the trenches and to move across and to embrace one another, those who are different from us. And it's actually true. It's what's possible for us. It's what God has made available to us in the person of Jesus. It's not aspirational. It's reality. Christ himself is our peace. Stanley Hauerwas says this about this text in particular. What an extraordinary set of claims, he says. These sentences from Paul are stunning because they force us to recognize that to be a Christian means we are made citizens of a people who believe all reality was transformed by an obscure Jew who died over 2,000 years ago. We believe that God has made us, his church, the exemplification of the new humanity through word and sacrament. Just as he is our peace, so we, his church, are a people of the new age, making possible a peace otherwise unknown. So in this article, Arthur C. Brooks is talking about this culture of contempt, and he's saying there has to be another way. But I don't know how that other way is possible unless it's undergirded, motivated, activated by the peace that is Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you just have a culture that is trying to be nice. You're trying to disagree in a better way. But unless there is something holding that together, it just doesn't seem like it will last. But God has raised Jesus Christ from the dead, has offered us power, has offered us a new reality, has transformed the way things are in such a way that we can live into something new a new humanity. We as a church are entering into a season and we've been in a season, but we're entering into a season in which I really think that our unity, our togetherness could be threatened. And if there's one way in which the power of the air, in which the enemy, in which Satan wants to get at us, it's in this place of disunity. Because if, we, if, he, can, if he can distance us from one another, if he can keep us in our trenches then what effect does the church ever have? What good news are we to a world that is already divided? But Christ is Lord over all of that. 
And by the power of his resurrection, we can live into that power and we can say, we are going to live into the peace that's been given to us. We are going to make it, we are going to show the world that a peace that is otherwise unknown is actually possible. And it doesn't mean that we don't disagree. It actually implies that we will. It doesn't mean that that it's going to be easy. But what it means is, it's opportunity and it's possibility. And it's the good news that Jesus Christ has really come among us, died and risen again, creating in us one new humanity. That's possible. And that's actually possible. And it begins with us. So here's a practice I want to encourage you to do over the next month. I want, you to, I want you to think about your dinner table. And I want you to think about who usually sits around it. And I want you to invite different people around your dinner, dinner table to share a meal and conversation, to share your journeys with Jesus. And I want you to invite somebody you think is different from you. Perhaps you may have just internally, you've never said it out, outwardly, but internally you've kind of excluded this person from ever thinking that they can be the presence of God to you. Well, I'd like to encourage you to take the risk that Jesus Christ is our peace and have them over and talk. Now, here's what I imagine. A lot of people are going to be invited and they're going to be like, wait a second, so you've been... um, Well, you know what? That's probably true. And you're just going to have to get over it, right? Honestly, like if if we are called to live into this thing, we need to we need to take steps to to actually take the risk to be together. So yes, invite people over. You might not otherwise think to invite over. So think about your dinner table. Think about the people who are around it. And over the next month, have one, maybe two meals with those who sit on the other side of the table in your mind or who are in the other trench. Get out, come together, embrace, and believe and trust that through the Spirit of God that peace has already been given to us and that we would live into our one true humanity and that we together would be the presence of God in the world. It's possibility. It's opportunity. It's what's already true. So let's do it. We're going to have an opportunity to be um, prayed with or to pray with others. Uh, and we do this because we, we sense that there's, there are often times in which things happen in a service, maybe singing or maybe just thinking or hearing the words of God um, read to you or preached that God does something and, and wants you to trust or believe something. Well, there's an opportunity to pray with others on the side and people who want to pray with you. But I also want to go one step further. I was talking with my friend Keith and he told me the story about how um, he, was, he was feeling some internal resistance. Keith, sorry, I'm throwing you under the bus, but you would throw me under the bus, so I feel okay. Um, and he, the, he was feeling some internal resistance, right, of going to the sides. And then somebody actually came up to him and said, I, will you pray for me? And he was struck by that act of, of, of humility, that act uh, on the part of a person who, who realized they needed prayer and they needed to find somebody they, they trusted 
to, to pray with and for them. So maybe you don't want to go to the sides. That's okay. But maybe find somebody. Find a person you trust. You know who loves you dearly. And ask them to pray for you. Like that's a way of engaging this practice as well. So I want to pray and then ask that God would, would stir in us and move us um, into a posture of humility, but also pray that God might, I don't know, shape our imaginations in such a way that we are motivated, activated by the peace that is given to us in Jesus. So let's pray together. God, you have, through your son Jesus, made it possible for us to be a people who are defined by peace. One new humanity. Help us to live into that in all the ways in which I sit in my own trench, in which I lob shots at the other. Forgive me. And show me how I do that without even knowing it. Show us as a community how we do that. And help us to lay down our arms and to actually move toward one another in love in the love that you've made possible because you've broken down the walls of hostility. Thank you, God, that that is what you've done in Jesus. Help us to grasp it. It's in Jesus' name we pray.